Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And I am at the Spoke Club in downtown Toronto, and uh, today I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Stanley, former frontman of Lowest of the Low. And uh, he's back with a new band, the Stephen Stanley Band, and he comes to me fresh off the release of the debut record called Jimmy and the Moon. Stephen, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Brent, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is really nice. This is a nice room. It's my pleasure. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Right? Good atmosphere. Sure, yeah. We're going to watch movies later or something. We are. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll watch a flick later on. <laughs> Maybe it's a wonderful life. <laughs> you do. It's a Christmas season, right? <laughs> you got three and a half hours. We can, we can do that. <laughs> So, so Stephen, I was at the Jimmy and the Moon uh, record release party at the Rivoli last week, mm-hmm. and uh, the band was fantastic. The songs are good. Uh, I love the new record. Thank it's you. Great. So, congratulations on that. Thank you. That's really nice. Yeah, I was really happy to find out that you're making music again. So, this is great. Yeah, it's it's been a great couple of years working up towards this moment, and uh, you know, putting a band together again, which I was reluctant to do at first, but then uh, finding some guys that I love playing with and. Then hooking up with Chris Brown and this whole thing about recording the album on Wolf Island came into play. So that took another year, but it was a wonderful year of kind of going back and forth and getting to know the people there, getting to know the island itself and making the record. So it's... It's a little weird now that it's out because that those constant trips back and forth to Wolf Island are, are going to be a little bit less now. Yeah. I'm still invited. But <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, we won't be going back once. You know, we, we were going maybe uh, three, four days every month while we were yeah. making the record. Yeah. And it was really, you know, obviously, you know, something I look forward to every month. And uh, I think it produced some results that I'm happy with anyway. So yeah, we'll, for sure. We'll see what people say. So the, I, I've been listening to the record I was listening to before you came in, actually. And uh, I love it. I think it's great. Thank you. I hear, it, I, the thing I, I think I like about it the most is it's got that, that Canadiana vibe to it. And I don't know how to describe that. Yeah. You hear it in Sloan. You hear it in The Odds. It's just... I, it's it's that vibe. It's that's it's interesting because like I have a I have a friend who's uh, who's younger than I am who's also a musician and he hasn't heard this record yet but he always whenever he hears anything that I do like he's seen the band live and he's seen my older my other bands outside of Lowest Low mm-hmm. always says well that '90s sound. <laughs> I'm like, I'm always like, can you quantify that for me? Like, I don't know what that means. Um, the Canadian thing, I think, is a little more obvious to me because, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I write from the place I live. Like, in that, so there's a lot of stories on the album that are very Toronto based, that are mm-hmm. very sort of East End based. Yeah. And that, I think that's a very sort of Canadian thing. Like, I yeah. mean, you know, obviously there's artists all over the world that write about their hometowns or write about their uh, environments, but I think it's a very Canadian thing to do that, to sort of celebrate what we have here because what we have here is you know especially as you look out at the world right now what we have here is pretty great yeah so. absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah no i hear I, I i don't know how you could quantify that and i was thinking about that yeah. you know before we uh, before we started talking it's just a it's a vibe and I, you know joel plaskett has got the same thing you know you just you know when you're yes. listening to that music you just feel that vibe so it's funny that last night i was filling out this uh online profile for a, a thing called noise trade and they make you decide five bands that that you 
feel that might be some, similar to what you do. Oh. And I purposely chose five American bands. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to choose a Canadian band because it's, maybe that's just maybe maybe this is why because it's just too obvious. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's funny. What were, what were some of the bands? Uh, who did I choose? I chose uh, well. So there's there's a singer out of Chicago I've been talking a lot about lately who, who I love. His name's Ike Riley, and his band's called the Ike Riley Assassination. Yeah. And um, it's made about seven records. The first one I was given when, when uh, Lois to Lois signed to um, what was A&M in those days, which became Universal, uh, one of the guys that was working on our album gave me this record, said, oh, I think you might like this, and I absolutely loved it. And it was a Universal signing out of the States. Um, it was called uh, Salesman's and, Salesman and Racist was the name of the record. Okay. And like one of the best things I heard in a decade. And yeah. then Ike sort of, like nothing really happened in Canada, he never came here. So when Los Lo broke up the first time in 94, in 95, I somehow arranged to get on a show with Ike in Buffalo. Oh, nice. Um, where I had a bit of a following and he had a, a minor following too. So ended up being like literally the worst snowstorm in February. And I somehow got down there in my car and we did the show, nobody was there, but I got to see this this guy who was literally becoming a hero to me as a songwriter. That's cool. I mean, um, and then album after album since then, which is probably totaling about seven now, he's put out um, you know, great, consistent music. He's a great writer. He, he's a great storyteller. Um, I love the way he records vocals. His band is top-notch. And then when I started this band, it just so happened that he was coming to Toronto on a Sunday night playing the Drake Underground. So my band's first show was opening for Ike. Oh. And we've sort of, I mean, I wouldn't say we're friends, but he certainly was like happy to see me because we'd, we'd sort of stayed in touch over the years. That's cool. And uh, it was a great show. I thought it was the best night of my life. <laughs> and then I wrote, wrote him afterwards and said, so like, are we gonna, are gonna, we're gonna get back to Toronto? And he was like, yeah, not after that show. And like, so he <laughs> he's now in the Midwest quite, you know, quite established and plays like you know plays a uh, First Avenue and sells it out, sells it out two nights in a row and stuff like that. Oh. So he's doing really well down there, but it just hasn't caught on here. Mm. And that Sunday night, you know, for me it was great because like probably a hundred people in the Drake. It was a Sunday night. It was great for him. It was like, oh, this is, am I driving all this way? Yeah, <laughs> true. People, but I'm not giving up. I'm gonna keep trying. Anyway, so that's that was one of the people I used as comparison. To. I'm and and you know, I mean, that's probably an insult to him, but but uh, I sort of. Feel like I've taken a lot of things out of his songwriting over the years. So yeah, cool. I'm gonna have to check him out. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, I'm I, I'm interested in stuff like that. Like finding mm -hmm. those new bands mm -hmm. for me. I, I discovered a uh, through a friend recently a new band called Lake Street Dive. Oh, nice. I, I don't, don't know, know if you've heard of this band. A little band out of Boston, and uh, just fantastic. Cool. Highly, highly recommended. Yeah, Lake well, Street Dive. Isn't it an interesting part of music, or I mean, anything, literature, film, film, maybe a little bit less because it's a little more populous, but. Um, like, you know, the sort of considering all the things that you might be missing that you would love. Because, yeah. you know, you can find a band 20 years after that you've never never heard a note of. And, and all of a sudden you've got this entire field of music. And I don't know how you listen to music, but I'm a real sort of uh, repetitive listener. So when I get on to something I like, I sort of stick with that for a long time. I'm not, I'm not always yeah. looking for a thousand things at once. Yeah. But if I find something that I lock into, like, forget it, I'm gone for... For months, I so. do that too. Yeah. More so when I was younger. I remember living in residence, and once I would find something, I yeah. would just play it. And my 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 doormates would just want to kill me, right? Because I would just play it over and over <laughs> and over and over again. So it's an interesting thing because you know I I remember when I have I have two daughters that are now both teenagers, but um, when they were very young, 
I started to notice this pattern where they would find a movie like my younger daughter loved the movie Shrek. Yeah. And so she needed to watch Shrek almost every day. <laughs> and I wonder if that's just like still the the child in us that wants to be repetitive. Because I, be. I know a lot of people that don't listen to music that way. That they're constantly like they'll 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 throw names of 20 bands at me that I've never heard because they're like, oh, this is great, this is great, this is great. And for me, it's like, well, I find, I've found something I like for now, so yes. I'm good. I do the same yeah. thing. Yeah, I get I get really hot on a band and then I, I, I stay on that band, I find, for a little while. Yeah. Marcus King Band is another band like that. Oh, I, I got to write them down before before I yeah. go then just so I can yeah. have some We'll talk after the show. We'll, we'll, we'll exchange. Well, <laughs> I love this time of year because all the best of lists come out. Come out and yeah. I usually spend a lot of the Christmas holidays sort of pouring through those lists and going, oh, okay, what did I miss this year? Yeah, you yeah know? I do that too. And I haven't really embraced uh, streaming yet, which is something I maybe will consider now because it's hard to keep up with buying every last record that you want to hear. It's tough. It's I, tough, uh, yeah. You know, the tough thing for me about streaming, that I and I just got into Spotify this year, like literally probably about four or five months ago, mm-hmm. because I, I had a problem with not owning an album I or a cassette anymore. Yeah. And so it, it was just weird for me, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm one of those traditionalists. So this is like, get off my lawn, you yeah. know, that old man. Yeah. But it, Spotify was a weird concept because it wasn't mine somehow. And I, I you know, maybe subconsciously had an issue with that or something, yeah. which yeah. is bizarre. Now I love Spotify, but it, t- it took me a little while. Yeah, and I, I can see that. There's, there's those um, music industry metrics that suggest that a band, a fan of a band after six records that's sort of the drop-off point where they'll stop buying records. So, yeah. and I, so there are bands that I feel that about. It's like, well, do I need another record from band? I'm not going to name them because it's not fair, but from <laughs> band X. But now that there's an option out there to you know still hear that stuff, mm-hmm. that may be the way to go. And as I said, I haven't embraced it yet because I'm, I'm very much like you, a traditionalist, and yeah. want to have the, not so much the physical copy, but have own a version of it that I can you know have at home, have on my iPod, have wherever. Yeah. So, which is weird. Yeah, right. I mean. <laughs> You don't really need it, but no, I, I, know. I think that comes from being a kid and going. For so. me, it does. Going to the record store, and I, t- I talk a lot about that. in My first book is hanging out in the record store on on a Tuesday when all the new releases came out, and it's like you you saw your favorite band's record, the yeah. new one, and it was yeah, you could hold it in your hand. You know, those days are long <laughs> over, but yeah. It was yeah. those were great days, and I think there's a little, there's a some a bit of an element of that coming back now. There's a lot of record stores in, in the city again. Um, I was down at Sonic Boom la, Boom last weekend, putting sending my record around town, yeah. and you're going in there right now. It's like wow, this is like this is a throwback and a beautiful throwback. They've done it so nicely, and there's so much music in there. Yeah, yeah. Now, I remember in like like probably like eight nine years ago now, my my daughters were younger. And somebody had given me a $200 iTunes certificate. And at first, I would sort of see the numbers ticking down because they were, they were peeling amounts off it, buying song by song. And then all of a sudden, it just stopped. And I, we were sitting at the dinner table one night, and I said, well, what's happened? Like, all of a sudden, you guys aren't buying music anymore. Mm-hmm. My older daughter, who at that point was probably 11, she goes, Dad. Nobody pays for music anymore. Like, I'm like, you know who I am, right? You know what I do. <laughs> it's true. Like, but you're right when you say it's from from a childhood thing because though um, the kids of the generation right now will never have that feeling. Yeah. Unless vinyl takes some sort of huge quantum leap back into the consciousness, but. And you hope it. I hope it does. I don't. I'm I do not, too. I, I, I don't know if it will, but yeah. I, I really, you know, I funny. <laughs> I, I gave a talk the other day to school. And I was talking about, I was talking to a bunch of 14 year olds, yeah. 90, 14 year olds in the room. And uh, so I brought a cassette with me and, <laughs> and, and I had it in my breast pocket and I was talking about music. 
pursuing your passions was, was the topic. And so I got to this point where I was talking about the music that I used to listen to. And I said, as a matter of fact, and I pulled the cassette out of my pocket and the, 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 the disdain and the confusion <laughs> on kids' faces was just, it made me laugh. Yeah. You know, it was like this guy was around when the dinosaurs roamed <laughs> the earth. It was hilarious. And so I started laughing and this one girl says, well, what's so funny? And I said, your face is priceless. And she said, but that thing, like, how do you work it? <laughs> I know there's been this sort of a, a, an attempt to bring cassettes back, and I'm not sure how that's going, but that, that one seems like a completely fad base to me because there's not yeah. any sort of real intrinsic uh, sort of value from a from an audio point of view to do it. No. But the, the vinyl thing is interesting, though, because I remember we had our turntable not set up for a while, and then I set it up again, and I remember a weekend where, I, like, basically around the turntable with my two kids when they were younger yeah. and they were blown away by it. Like they were blown away by the whole idea that first of all, you put like a Beatles record on compared to a Beatles digital album. Um, it's a big difference in what you're warmth. hearing through your stereo, the warmth, the, the, the sort of the spectrum of uh, sound, you know, um, as I understand, as I understand, my friend of mine who's a real audio tech guy works for has a company called Axiom Audio always tells me that digital had the potential to be this, you know, twice the size of, of uh, analog, but they sort of took it the exact opposite way, right? They, they, it, because we're listening through earbuds and stuff, they've compressed, compressed it so much it. that it, you do end up with a tinier sound. Mm -hmm. So putting something on on vinyl again for the first time is like, whoa, this is this is a better stereo than I thought we had. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's cool that you released uh, Jimmy the Moon on vinyl too. It, yeah, yeah, it was so important to me. Like I, that's, I was like, that's what. I did it for like just yeah. to have a record out on vinyl again, yeah. and you know I know it's going to be niche. It's going to we 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 printed three hundred to begin with, and it's going to be a, a long haul to move three hundred units. I think, well, but you never know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, I think uh, I think people like you and I we under we understand that. I think there's a lot of people that have just sort of switched over to digital and they're never going back. Like, and that's fine. It's like you know, however you want. To me, it's like I just you know, if people listen to the songs, that's good. But uh, yeah. having it on vinyl. You know, just such a beautiful throwback, and and then like like I said, it feels a little bit like there's been a renaissance too. So yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can yeah. definitely see that. So hopefully that takes hold. So Stephen, uh, at the Rivley show, we talked about uh, Christmas music. So I yes. found out that you're a huge Christmas fan. I'm a huge Christmas fan and a huge Christmas music fan, yeah. and uh, I. It's funny, I was telling somebody the story that we talked about it that night, and I couldn't remember how we got on that topic. Like, how did we get on the topic of Christmas music? I don't know. We were standing in the middle of the room for like a five-minute conversation. And, and we just like got right into it. It yeah, was really strange. Yeah. I, I, that's, a, that's a good point. I don't remember. It was before you went on. Yeah. I don't remember either, but I mean, I'm I glad know. we did because yeah. I mean, it's, it's always been a, a big deal to me from like when I was a little kid um, I think I told you when we were talking about it my my father uh, was a vinyl collector like you know like way ahead of his time yeah and had that sort of six disc stacker stereo thing those big brown things that would sit in the middle of your living room <laughs> and with, which probably like the audio quality of it was probably terrible yeah. but like the first thing he would do every night when he got home from work was put six records on and we would listen to music through dinner and the TV wouldn't go on till later in the evening. That's like, awesome. Homework got done. And, you know, um, a very different style of music in general than, uh, you know, like there's the gap between my father's generation and my generation 
is so much wider than the gap between my generation and my kids' generation. Yeah. I, and why, I don't know, but like my kids and I like the same thing, yeah. which is great. I mean, they, they didn't really sort of, they were brought up in a household where they were always hearing Dylan and Bowie and, you know, whoever. And so mm-hmm. they love bands. They love all those bands. Although Dylan, they're not sure. <laughs> they may have been over <laughs> Dylan. Um, but Bowie, huge. But then, you know, they're into bands like The National. And these are the bands that I love now, too. So awesome. there is no gap anymore, where there's, whereas there was a huge gap then. And, you know, so I didn't particularly relate to the Johnny Mathises and the Perry Comos that my dad loved. But I totally related to being surrounded by music, mm-hmm. which was cool. So Christmas was a whole other deal then, because he his Christmas album collection, which was probably somewhere between like very traditional and very kitschy, yep. um, had some great stuff. And I've spent like the last probably ten years um, recreating that digitally, so I have all those albums again awesome. <laughs> as digital albums. Yep. So. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's like Christmas has always been an a important part of of the year for me and for my family, and I just love love the whole spirit of it. So yeah, yeah. So the music, I, I love that sort of month where you sort of take everything everything else is off the table. And yeah, although I must say it never makes the translation. I never sort of walk around. I wear my headphones constantly. I'm never listening to Christmas music by myself. It's always it has to be. Oh, really? a, it's yeah. always a shared experience for me. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see how it's synonymous with the. Uh, kind of spirit of Christmas, obviously. I think so. You yeah, know, being with family. Yeah, that's a good friends. way to put it because, like, it just seems like just seems like share it with other people, and then I, you know, I'll stay I stay with the stuff that I like to listen to th- throughout the year when I'm just by myself listening. So yeah, well, uh, you know, you and I talked about that, and we thought it would be a good idea to actually do a Christmas episode, which is really cool. Which is awesome. Yeah. This is my first time doing this. Oh, really? Really? So, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got the impression this was like a part of a series or something. That's no, even God, no. No, I just thought it was cool because we talked about that. Yeah. And uh, you're a big fan of Christmas music, and mm-hmm. I thought, why don't we do like a Christmas edition of the show? You know, you'll be by to do a regular edition of the show, hopefully. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought this would be—it's timely and, and it'll be cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So I've got your Christmas tunes right here. Right on. So okay. do you want to get into them? Absolutely. That, Ready? Uh, now I now I don't remember what order I gave them to you, and so uh, if you want to, I'll just rhyme them yeah, off. Yeah, you rhyme them off. So the first one is by uh, one of the old crooners, Andy Williams. Andy and Williams. Sweet little Jesus boy, and I had never heard this one. Well, again, back to back to my childhood, and it's funny because, like you know, the 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 completely lapsed Catholic in me is like, do I really want to uh, spring this song and play it for Brent? Because <laughs> um, like, I mean, the the thematics are like a little bit alien to my line of thinking. But but it was, I think it was about three years ago that, I, that, that Andy Williams was a huge Christmas staple, and we're inundated with the most wonderful time of the year like during the christmas season to oh, the point yeah. where you can't even hear it anymore because it's been used in commercials in the summer yeah um, but you can't mistake how great the man's voice is it's great it is great yeah. and this particular song which has some weird choices of lyrics even topically some weird choices of lyrics i don't know I don't, i'm not even sure who wrote it but holy cow what a vocal performance yeah and it was about three years ago I had this album on and I don't think I'd paid much attention to this song since I was probably a 10 I'm not even sure I paid much attention to it then <laughs> and I was just like one day it came on we were we were sitting in the living room and I have a really nice set of uh, old sort of vintage speakers and I was like sitting there going holy cow this is unbelievable this, yeah. this band's voice was as good as they came like you know yeah. and maybe he's probably i don't i don't can't i can't speak for what you know his place is in american history but i suspect he's more underrated than he should be i think he is he he kind of gets eclipsed by guys like ben crosby Dean Martin, you know 
Um, but I, he, there's no disputing. He's, he's got a yeah. very powerful. You, you know, just, you can just hear the power. Like in this particular song, you just hear all the power and the voice and the range, and it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful song. I like, but like I said, like the top topic wise, like. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, it's Christmas, right? We'll, we'll overlook that. <laughs> so your next tune, Stephen, is uh, by Barbara Streisand. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's the old classic, The Christmas Song. Another um, powerful voice. Yeah, and again, there's something, Barbara, a young Barbara Streisand, like the albums she made early early on, and this album is, is one of them. Her voice just, I mean, her voice has always been great, but there's a resonance in it that sort of disappeared as she got older yeah. that... Like it's impossible to describe. It's just, but it's just the again one of those sort of perfect singing voices. And what she brings to this album, you know, and it's funny. Like you know, I think later on we're going to talk about Dylan and the the whole idea that um, the two there's two uh, Jewish people that made great Christmas records. And like, and then you're going to add like Irving Berlin to the to the uh, list and all these people that you know seemingly wouldn't have been celebrating Christmas that made these seminal albums and this album through and through is just stunningly beautiful she has her own take on jingle bells which is awesome and the thing that gets me about all these records and you can include bing crosby in in that list and even in the andy williamson's of the world and we'll talk about it again with dylan when he made his christmas record a few years ago is the quality the just the pure quality of the arrangements of the songs yeah like they are perfect and it's 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 orchestral but it's also you know, they, there's there's simple orchestral arrangements and tons of background vocals, and it's yeah. just it's a different era. And it totally is. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, you know, I hear those things, and I again, I don't want to sound like that old man saying "get off my lawn," but you know, I just wonder if that's ever going to come back, if it, or how much that is appreciated. Mm-hmm. You know. So the the coming back part, I think, is is there because there are people. You know, like we'll, again, we'll talk about Dylan, and he made this Christmas record that I think is completely cut from that cloth. The question to me is, will it come back with something with a new twist added to it? Because I think there are a lot of people out there right now that are sort of paying homage to it. Yep. You know, like I mean, even like you know, like Michael Bublé and people like that. Their albums are very much of that spirit. It hasn't really, it hasn't really changed much of what that was. So, you know, and again, this this is a, a blanket statement that shouldn't be made probably because like that would to assume that I've heard all music, which I haven't. I'm a very limited listener. Um, so, you know, there, but yes, rock changed the whole landscape of arrangements, and I love rock and yeah. I love the way that does, but there's just something, you know, like with those Bing Crosby arrangements with the, with the female choral vocals in the background, yeah. like lots of different wind instruments just in little parts of songs, lots of bells shaking. It's yeah. pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Bob Dylan is your next uh, oh, there you your next selection here. It's "Do You Hear What I Hear." Yes, so the re- that record has uh, some really traditional things and some really kitschy things on it. Mm-hmm. Like he does a, a version of uh, what's the one must be must be Santa. It was the single he put out from that album. Yeah. Um, and it's so as I said to you before, I uh, over Dylaned my family and my daughters. Like literally, they <laughs> jump for the the stop button when this album comes on. They can't, they yeah, can't stand yeah. it. But I really like it because because I think he really sort of he. I think he's such a deeply uh, 
deeply rooted in the history of Americana. Mm. He went and made sure those arrangements were, you know, as pristine and as beautiful. And like, you know, the amount of people that are playing on that record, the amount of singers on that album. Yeah. It's it seems like a very non Dylan experience, but then I think you can't ever say that's a non Dylan experience because I think he changes every time he does something. Yeah. But just like th this album came out, I'm not sure if you have the date there, but this album came out, I think, like five years ago or something like that, or maybe maybe I, a bit no, longer. I'm not sure. But we're not talking about ancient history here. We're talking about a guy who, up in in his like late 60s, decided I'm going to make a Christmas record. Yeah. And you know, did he do it just because he wanted to make money? I don't know. Like I mean, I don't know what his reasoning was at all, and I'm, I'm sure nobody does. I'm sure he'll never tell them that. But he yeah. he he didn't phone it in. Like that's he he put like a ton of effort into it. Mm -hmm. So I think people that. He, he does get lambasted a lot for this album in particular, and I think it's because his voice mixed with these songs, you, it's really, it really cuts against it, right? Like you it don't, really does. You don't expect it, but, yeah. but I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. You know, I was thinking the other day when I was listening to this, it almost sounds like Tom Waits a little bit, right? So you yeah. hear, because these songs are so pristine and, and almost like yes. kind of celestial, and then you hear... I know, like, but and he has all those pristine and celestial elements still there. Yeah. So he does cut against it, and like you know, his voice is a uh, is a bag of gravel now, yeah. and then it's really whether you know he strikes me as one of those singers that has has forced his voice to be something other than it really is mm -hmm. throughout his career. So I don't know if what we're hearing now is the real thing. I think he certainly earned it if uh, if it is because he's he's you know what he still does like 120 shows a year or something that's a lot of singing yeah which is crazy so yeah yeah and he's like you know he's mid 70s now right so yeah 73 or something like that oh, it's amazing yeah so i you know it's like so the, the choice of song like there's probably two or three other artists that do a version of that song and one of them i think is coming up we're going to talk about them in a, but sandler and young do a version of that song that's incredible too yeah. it's, a, it's a great song it's a great melody right it's just that there's the, the lyrics and the melody in that song are so beautiful and so so well done and oh, yeah. again just to throw back to a different time yeah definitely I was reading an article the other day, actually, about those Christmas songs and, and getting back to what you were talking about earlier uh, about uh, Jewish composers. Mm -hmm. um, the irony is that a lot of those songs are written by Jewish composers. Yeah. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer being one of Same. those. And it was, you know, almost a metaphor of a Jewish kid mm -hmm. um, being an outcast in his, in his social group. That's interesting. I didn't. I never sort of thought of it from that point of view, and that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but it still, it still makes me wonder... What would make them write in the context of Christmas, though? I have when no idea. You're not you're not celebrating that. I mean, it's great. I mean, believe me, I'm not saying you're saying they shouldn't, but I'm saying like it's it's you know, it's a bit strange. Yeah. But I also think is. that I think that applies to some of the most seminal Christmas TV specials, like all those Rudolph the Red Nosed Rangers. I think those producers were both Jewish as well. Yeah. So and they're done yeah. in the summer in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> those stories are great too because the like they uh, talk about all the. Um, animated characters like all the Rudolphs and the snow abominable snowmen yeah. they were they had to to get the lights right they had to coat them with an epoxy so basically none of them exist anymore they all broke down like a year like disintegrated a year oh, wow. after they shot those shows so none of the original parts of those series exist like really it's really amazing like they just they just uh there there was nothing to save because they they would I don't know what it was they were using to coat them but so they got that sort of weird there's a weird sheen on them when you when you look closely, mm. right? Anyways, interesting huh. stuff, yeah. So you can't own the original Rudolph if, you, if yeah. you're if you're interested. <laughs> Damn. Um, next up is uh, the King, Elvis Presley, with Holly Leaves and Christmas Trees. Elvis Presley. So okay, this this is one of my favorite songs. Period. Um, 
and one that for whatever reason doesn't seem to get much uh, much play I've around. I've never Christmas. heard it before. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, but it it is on his. So I think there's two sort of. I'm not sure how many Christmas records he actually made, but there's two compilations that exist out there now. It's on one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories about Elvis and Christmas records are amazing because apparently he made them in July, and he would insist that the entire studio was made up with real Christmas trees and lights and everything. He wanted the whole vibe. Crank and the, the AC. Had, yeah, that's cool. Crank the AC exactly. Yeah, because it would have been a warm, warm climate. Um, yeah, so he really uh, he made some beautiful records, and, and you know I'm not I'm not one of those guys, and maybe you are, but I'm not one of the guys that can sit and tell you who it is playing on all these records, but the playing on all of them is stellar. It's got that sort of pre, like, wrecking crew bands that are just, yeah. holy cow, like, yeah. like, always a little bit behind the beat, always, like, yeah. like guitar playing. Crack like, musicianship. I yeah. think a lot of those guys played on all those records. They're all just studio exactly. kind of musicians. Right? Probably at Sun. Like, I'm not I'm not sure if these were recorded at Sun or not, or if, that was, yeah. if these were later, but... Uh, Might be a little bit later, but... Yeah. 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 But yeah, like this, like those Elvis records, like that. It's, it's like if if you had to sort of ask me what is my favorite Christmas record, it's probably Elvis, just because. Oh really? Because once you get past, like he's he's doing some traditional uh, arrangements of songs, but once yeah. you get past that, you realize this is a great blues band playing yes. at the top of their game. Like the yeah. guitar player, you know, what's his name? Oh man, I'm bad with names. He throws to him in one of the solos on the album, and it's quite cool. Is it Scott? Um, uh... Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, his Anyways, last name escapes. You can me. look it up. People, people listening can look it up. Oh, <laughs> people are screaming the name at their at their, <laughs> at their devices right now. <laughs> you idiot! Yeah, no. Listen, if the two, if two of the Chris and uh, Gregor from my band were here, they would tell you every last person on on these records. Oh, really? Like, yeah. they, they are, yeah, they're aficionados with that kind of stuff. Like yeah. who who drummed on what song, who played bass. And I love being a part of those conversations. I find I don't retain the information like some people do, yeah. but <laughs> cool. No, great players for sure. Uh, next up is John Denver and Aspen Glow. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think at the Rivoli, I told a story about my uh, cousin and who from Edmonton, who I, I've not seen for many, many years. But we we grew up together to the age of eleven, and we were like we were born three months apart, and she. Because this album, this new album came out, she called me. She wrote me this uh, like when the album, the day the album came out, and said we hadn't talked in like probably six, seven years, and that's more on me, just sort of losing touch over the last little while. Yeah. But um, she reminded me that when we were kids, we had an argument once about who was better, John Denver or Elton John. Oh, <laughs> so, really? And she was Elton John. I was John Denver. Wow. <laughs> and I think that's my dad at play too, because he listened to a lot of stuff like that, like John Denver and. Uh, you know, like the that album with the eagle and the hawk on it, where yeah. Denver's voice just kind of soars. So I think I this Christmas, the Denver Christmas album was a part of my dad's collection, and I I just sort of got back into this record a couple of years ago because I'd forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. And there's some real corny stuff on it, but this song is beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. Christmas song that he wrote himself, right? So yeah. that's a nice thing too because you get a lot of uh, retreads in the Christmas world and, and sometimes it's to the point where do we really need to hear somebody else um, playing Lennon's So This Is Christmas? Yes. Like, I, it doesn't seem like we need another version of that song. Yeah. Now, you know, if you're sing- if you're doing your own version of Silent Night, I guess, like, you know, it really depends who it is from, from my point of view. Like, we're, we're now in this sort of culture of, um, 
you know, there's probably four stations in the in our immediate area playing Christmas music day and night, and that has led to a lot of stuff that you know nobody should hear. <laughs> <laughs> so when somebody adds something that they wrote themselves to the um, to the uh, you know canon of Christmas music, it's like you should should pay attention to it. I, this is not a song that's on my list, but there's a, a guy, a Toronto guy named Bill Wood. Okay. who uh, has a band called Bill Wood and the Woodies, and he has a Christmas song, and all oh, the names escape me right now. I should remember it, but it's it's like he's, I hope he, it's been out three years now, and not much has happened with it, but I hope somebody finally picks it up, because it's a great song about a, a guy who's who's working in Fort McMurray and trying to get back to, to uh, Ontario for Christmas. For Christmas. And yeah. it's so well done, and it, he, the arrangement's great, and the lyrics are great, and the twists of phrase, are, and the playing is fantastic. And I, I tell him every Christmas, like, hire a radio tracker, get, get somebody to get that out, get it out there on, yeah. on a larger scale, because... There, you know, to me, it's hard to add to that canon of worthy Christmas music, and most people that attempt it don't. <laughs> yes. So, no, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Every now and again, you find a decent tune. Uh, the Decemberist, I think, did one. Oh, really? Oh, Please Come Home, which is pretty good. I'll have to look that up because I love that band, so. Yeah, I like that. But then, like you said, I'll go to, like, you know, The Pretenders. Yeah. And they're, like, stuff like that that's nice, not yeah. traditional. And yeah. so, so where do you fall on uh, Paul McCartney's Christmas song? <laughs> I have to say that I do like it, Steve. Yeah, see, like I, I do. I'm the same, but it's yeah. like one of the most reviled songs I in know, the history of music. But I love it. See, I was thinking <laughs> about my playlist when we were doing this, and that's on there. Yeah. Wonderful Christmas time yeah. will always be on there. Yeah. You know? I, I agree with you, but but you uh, bring that up in, uh, in a crowd. You <laughs> oh, will, I know. You get rocks thrown at you. Nine out of ten people <laughs> hate that song. Like, every Christmas you see people posting about how, you know, that is ruining Christmas for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty extreme. It's extreme. Paul McCartney got a rough ride, th- I mean, throughout, you know, yeah. like, quite an amazing song. That song aside, whether that's, like, a beautifully written song or not, but he wrote some amazing, like I'm talking post Beatles, obviously, but he wrote yeah. some amazing stuff post Beatles. And yeah. he doesn't get his due, I mean, obviously, gets his due from a populist point of view. I mean, he's still alive and he's still selling out giant, giant shows. Yep. But, like, I don't, I don't think he's really ever been sort of put on the same pedestal as Lennon was or is. And I think he should be. See, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I've said, in, and I've said on previous podcasts, that Paul McCartney, in my humble opinion, is the most prolific songwriter mm. in the history of recorded yeah, music. I, I, I honestly think that. Yeah, and like the, so he's a bit of a warts and all guy because there was some stuff that you you could use to sort of sort of uh, dispel that that uh, statement. But yeah, for the most part, you know, even yeah. stuff like he did with the stuff he did with Elvis Costello was a fantastic renaissance of writing. I thought. Yeah. I mean, like, like it or not, but those were some really nicely written songs like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. The first, uh, like, Ram by Paul, you know, oh, the, yeah, first, the first record that came out. great. Yeah, right? Like, that's really... Um, this The self-titled record, which yeah. has got, like, a lot of warts and all stuff when it comes to the playing and, and arranging, but holy cow, like, that has maybe, maybe I'm amazed bearing on deep, deep into that record, right? Yeah, exactly. Like and that was just, that was ever. almost like a throwaway track yeah. for him, right? Yeah, it, the, the album's fairly nondescript. Yeah. I love that song. Like, that's one of my favorite songs of all time, I would, yes, I would, I would same. venture to say. beautiful song, yeah. But there's really no ending to it. It's kind of funny yeah. it's almost like he's playing and then he gets distracted yeah. and says let's go write another one it just kind of trails off well if you remember um you know when when wings over america came up 
came out, they used the live version as a single. So that I don't know even know if the uh, studio version was ever a single. I don't think it was. I don't think so either. And and but the Wings Over America version, which was a lot more um, a lot more arranged and robust, so that was the, that yeah. got a ton of radio play yes. back in those days. Yeah, and still does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, like like I don't I don't think people dispute that Paul McCartney is a great songwriter, but I just don't think he sometimes gets his due. And, and I think especially around like, Christmas. <laughs> well, yeah, stuff like that that people point to and go, well, yeah, but he wrote that song. <laughs> well, it's just, it's kitschy, but he knows that I think, right? He knows that it's like silly love songs. It's just it's kitschy stuff, and he's kind of winking when he does it. Some of, and some of the stuff he did with Michael Jackson, I wish mm. was not on the uh, say 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 on the, yeah on the docket. As we yeah, say, I, I, yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I can't say I'm a fan of that yeah. stuff. You can't say say. They say you're a fan. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Ray Con of Singers is next. Okay. It's so the uh, jolly old St. Nicholas medley. So it's a, it's a medley, and and I think Ray Con of Singers were were sort of that was their thing, doing like longer medleys of multiple songs. Yeah. This is this is my household in you know 1970 whatever and Christmas. Like my dad played this record so much. So again, forgot about it for years. I would have never listened to this in my 20s and 30s. <laughs> I would have been, been going, what are you, what are you, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, but bought it last year again just because I was looking through my dad's record collection last Christmas and saw that I was like oh yeah right so I bought it that uh, digital copy of that and it's just like it's just a great fun Christmas song yeah yeah um and there I don't know I don't know much about the Ray Connor singers to be totally honest except for what the albums my dad had I think he had like the two their two Christmas records and then maybe one other record that was you know traditional songs that you would that were not Christmas based but yeah I don't know anything about them beyond that but that was it was that just recalls a day to me because they were always on in my house. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, and next is uh, Sandler and Young. We talked about that earlier. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Right. So they would do their songs. They would sing. One of them was sang in English and one of them sang in French and kind of an echo, echo thing. Yes. And again, this is like just such a throwback to me. I don't know. I don't know much about their careers outside of Christmas, but I know they did have long careers. And I, I think one of them still still alive and still performing yeah. um but uh yeah like that was the, you know again like the 70s in my house sandler and young and i think at the time i sort of thought oh this is horrible yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, there's a french intro i think right yeah. they sing the first part in french it's like a it's like a pre a pre-lead into the song and i'm not even i'm not i'm not versed in french which is a horrible thing as a canadian that grew up in uh you know in the in the public school system I should be but um, I'm not really sure what he's saying but it's not actually part of the song he's sort of it's almost like listen to this you listen to this you crazy people or <laughs> and I always says écoute so I think that means listen <laughs> it does it does <laughs> I have to listen back I, I used to speak French when I was a kid so I'll, I'll listen back to it oh there you go oh. yeah well so if you can translate I mean there's no way people are, that are listening to this are thought they would get this kind of a deep lesson. Know, they're like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> Translating French for us now. <laughs> okay, so your next song, I love. So it's by a woman named Darlene Love, mm -hmm. who is fantastic. And she is, uh, the song's called Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home. It's a great song. But Darlene Love, I was so happy when I saw this on your list, because yep. I love this track. She sang on everything in the 60s. Like she sang backups on to do run run. Oh, absolutely. Monster yeah. mash. Like the she was always there. Yeah. Right. The uh 
that's there's a whole record um, done with that sort of Phil Spector. Phil Spector producing yeah. and that sort of wall of sound vibe. And it's a great, that's a great Christmas record unto itself. Yes. Um, but she, that, her version and her vocal take on that became timeless. A lot of, I mean, David Letterman played a big part in that because he brought her on every Christmas right. to sing this song the day before they would go off the air for the holidays. Yep. And it was, I was always trying to tune in to see that because she's she's wonderful with her, and her version of the song is wonderful too. Oh, it's just bombastic. It's bombastic. It's yeah. like it's got that sort of, I mean, that sound that nobody else can, has ever duplicated that feels, but just, this, this, just the crack of the snare drum and yes. everything that's all the sort of like echo around everything that's happening, but it's still contained and still yep. all, everything makes sense so it's it's yeah. really uh, it's quite amazing and her voice is one of the best of all time for sure oh yeah and it's a wonderful song too it's a really simple simple song and, and yeah nice nice sentiment and yeah yeah did you know that ronnie specter was actually slated to sing this i didn't know that the story goes that she she did a bunch of takes and phil Spector was like uh you're just kind of not cutting it oh really and darlene love was on hand and they said why don't you give it a shot and she killed it and is there anything, any remnants of that left? Like, is there a Ronnie Spector version out there somewhere? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I think those were all just probably cutting their yeah. takes. It seems like that would have been just before the time when things started to get saved, when things started to sort of, you know, like, like you can find the entire version of Blood on the Tracks that, yeah. that Dylan recorded in, in NYC. Around 75? 74, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some, and some of the versions on the New York version are, to me, better than the... And I love the route. Oh, I'd route. love to go right. through all the leftover stuff. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, he just seemed to have a really good archivist that sort of kept everything in order, and whether it was... Maybe he was doing it himself, but, mm. you know, it's just like that's a lot of work, and that's a lot... I mean, like, as he's released, he's up to, what, the 19th bootleg series or something now? Yeah. It's like, like, it's just the amount of stuff that that man produced over... Oh yeah, his career is just yeah. incredible. Yeah. There's a point where you sort of sit back and think, like, just the sheer time of it. He must have been recording every day. He wasn't playing live, like, probably. Yeah, yeah. One other thing about Darlene Love. You ever hear um, "Christmas Time for the Jews" on uh, Saturday Night Live? <laughs> oh, it's no, so I... funny. It's like one of those little cartoons. What's that guy's name? Robert Smeagol. Oh, Robert Smeagol, yeah, yeah. So uh, he would do those cartoons that yeah. would feature on there. And one of them was called Christmas Time for the Jews. <laughs> and it was done in like, um, not claymation, but remember like Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, and, of course, and, yeah. And so it was done I in think that. I do know what you're talking about, but I don't remember much about it. It's yeah. in black and white. Yeah. But Darlene Love sings the vocal on that. Oh, really? Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, what, you know, I'm... I, what kind of career has she had? Like, is, is she? I think she must still go out on the road now. Yeah, like she, she was an actress for a while too. Was she yeah. she was um, Murtaugh's wife in Lethal Weapon in that whole series. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyways, amazing voice. And yeah, she's fantastic. She's still amazing voice singing an amazing song, right? Yeah. 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 Definitely. So that is your list, my friend. That's the Christmas songs. A damn good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many that that. Like, you know, could I mean like Bing Crosby's obviously not on there, and a very oh, important yeah. part of the whole Christmas story. And uh, little drummer boy, little drummer boy. Um, oh, there's a few others. Like uh, you, you said, Dean Martin. Dean Martin has some great Christmas stuff too. So you have to love the Crosby Bowie version of Little Drummer Boy. Yeah, that's. It's funny because like I do love it, and it's for whatever reason like uh, literally you can't turn on the radio now without hearing it. Like it's just yeah. it's now to the point where it's it's saturated. Yeah. And now there's like. 
like like I think the Canadian tenors did a version of it. It's like oh, did they? Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, like those, there's just some things we don't need other versions of. There's just some things I know. <laughs> you know. And I'm f- like cover the heck out of whatever song you want to live, but yeah. there's just some things you don't don't need to be recorded. Like if like if the you know, there's something like somebody that reco- records uh, "Oh Come All Ye Faithful" and puts their own spin on it. Fine, that's a very traditional song, and yeah, and there isn't one definitive version of that song. That I mean, at least not in my mind. But when there's a song that exists with a definitive version, like I said, Lennon before or Bowie, and uh, I, I'm not going to bash some people at Christmas, bash people at Christmas, but it just seems like some some things don't need to be touched again. You know, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's almost like a vanity project. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's like well, I I mean, it's like a, it's a let's make some money project. Oh, for right? sure, yeah. definitely. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about uh, Scott Weiland's Christmas record. Have you heard it? I've not. No, I wanted to tell you about that at the show. Oh no, I don't know it. Because it's 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 really interesting, and it, you know Scott Weiland's a polarizing figure, right? Yeah. But um, the Christmas album is done. You know, some of the songs are done to spec, so it's like wow. he, he emulates those old crooners like Crosby yeah. and and uh, you know for Weiland, he's a bit of a smartass. So I'm trying to figure out if he's if it's you know kind of a little bit sarcastic or if it's because he really goes for it, like he does the full vocal warble. Oh yeah, so and that, everything. So that, this is the same the same approach that I think Dylan took when he was making his record. Yeah. Um, so what? When did this come out? Like I want to say maybe seven eight years ago. I gotta look it up because I didn't yeah. even know it existed. Check so. it out. Yeah. I love it because it's a mix of old and new. Like he like I said, he does the the full out traditional yeah. for some of the tunes, but then there's other Christmas songs that you wouldn't like. It's like you know Happy Christmas and many more is one of them. Yeah, yeah. and it's almost done in like a kind of a reggae shuffle. Right. So it's cool. really cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's my goal to add one record to my collection a year now. So maybe that's the one I'm going to look into because be I, I don't have a I don't have something in mind for this year. So I'm going to check it out. Okay. I mean, I literally have never heard never heard that that even happened. So oh really? That's you know that's there there you go. That's like like there's so many things that just don't cross your path. And, yeah, true. Uh, well, that's what I'm here for. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming in. This is great. It's been great so time. much fun, and and hopefully, like uh, I, I haven't really been feeling like too much in the Christmas spirit yet this year. I think just being busy putting the record out and stuff. So, yeah. I think a, a good sort of you know forty five minutes of talking about Christmas might help. So there you go. Awesome. <laughs> great. Thanks very much, Stephen. The new record is called Jimmy and the Moon. We'll talk to you soon. Take Thanks, care. Brent. Thank you very much. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Stephen Stanley. Until next time, take good care, folks. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide.